It has contributed to the rise and fall of civilizations, from people who have spent their lives searching for it to today's modern conveniences. Every single one of us is a stakeholder in it. G'day, and welcome to Humans of Agriculture. I'm your host, Ollie Lalive, and welcome back to episode eight. I can't believe we're up to eight episodes already. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you're looking after yourselves and that this podcast is a bit of a positive distraction. Our podcast aims to bring diverse perspectives and through growing the awareness and understanding and the influence of agriculture and the food and the world around us in our everyday lives, we hope that we'll be able to create a stronger relationship between people and agriculture. Over the coming weeks, I'll be bringing more awesome guests to the airways from the USA, Africa, and even someone who's traveled to Antarctica. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Humans of Agriculture to see who they are and submit any questions. If you remember back to episode one, on top of all the amazing things Mark LeBroy talked about, he talked about a beef brand that was producing exceptional quality meat and he was actually using it in his restaurants. Well, today I'm really excited to bring to you guys a mini panel We've got Chris and Jill here. Chris is one of the founders and the CEO of Provenir, a high welfare premium beef brand that processes the animals on farm to reduce the stress in the final hours of the animal's life. Jill is a farmer from Holbrook in New South Wales. She talks about farming like an art, creating a landscape that is full of life, caring for our animals, and how at first she actually struggled with how the animals were processed on her farm. But it's this which has given her a far greater appreciation for caring for the animals and her landscape. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to welcome both of you to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Chris, just starting off, I'd just like to understand a bit more about how Provenir came about and a little bit more about your founders. Thanks for having us on the show, Ollie. Provenir was um, created in 2017 and it was really the path of the five founders of Provenir desire to produce the best beef in Australia and to do that in the highest welfare way possible Um, and for all of us it was um, to do on-farm processing so um, very simply instead of the animals uh, going through live transport to the abattoir, the abattoir goes to the animal. And that there creates the incredible meat quality that we produce because the animals aren't stretched, uh, stressed and the welfare for the animals that they don't have to be transported on the back of trucks as well. So that was the core principle around it. Jill, welcome from Holbrook. Are you able to just tell me a bit more about yourself and a little bit about your cattle operation and what led to working with Provenir. In 2007, we bought um, Biberinga, which is a cattle property on the southwest slopes of New South Wales. Uh, it's a thousand hectares. And when I bought it, it was a very rundown property. And basically, that was the aim to buy a property that I could apply my regenerative agriculture and holistic management experience for the last. 30, 20, 30 years, um, and try and get this property really humming with biodiversity and um, retaining soil moisture and all the beautiful things that go with looking after the landscape. 
Um, so I run a beef cattle operation. Um, used to be breeding cattle, but because of the variable climate conditions um, in this area, which once was quite a reliable rainfall, that I've decided to now trade cattle and take on adjustment cattle and just buy and sell as the seasons. I'm also part of a group, a holistic management support group called Eight Families. And we started about oh, 10 years ago. And about five years ago, we started looking at how we could process our meat directly to the customer. And we did a few, um, we processed a few animals and went through that experience and very quickly realised that this wasn't the game that we need. This is serious business. And we were, we were serious farmers, all of us, that um, we're better off doing what we're good at, that's looking after the land, looking after the animals and finishing animals so we produce healthy food off natural country, all grass-fed and, um, you know, with no additives like antibiotics and hormones and things like that. And uh, Provenir came along last year and it just ticked all the boxes. What was it that got you to change your, your style and, and business operation to be regeneratively focused? And how are you guys managing that? What does it look like day to day? Um, well, basically, if we don't look after our land, we're not looking after our core business or our natural capital. Um, and I've always had that philosophy, but I went through our college and learned how to farm industrially. And also most of my journalistic experience was all about industrial farming. And then back in the 90s, um, during the Wool Depression, and the, we had a big debt and we had, there was also the drought, the millennium drought, we... We were not going well financially and stress-related. Our business wasn't in great shape. So we had to make a change. We embraced holistic management, which was real. That's what it was called then. And regenerative agriculture is something that's really just emerged in the last few years. Um, but it's, it's basically, I think, regenerative agriculture is working with the ecosystem and building ecosystem. Um, so increasing the biodiversity on the properties and doing all those things. We're just working with nature and not pushing to control nature. Chris, for you guys at Provenir, your processing and an end product is heavily reliant on the, how the, the animals are raised. And so I suppose what's, um, what is it that you're looking for when, when you're looking for your partner farmers? Yeah, so one of the, the key things that we established very quickly in the commencement of the business with the idea of um, doing on-farm processing was provenance was a key attribute of what we wanted to provide to the consumers and we knew that consumers were interested um, increasingly so to know where their food comes from so we looked at um, what was available in the marketplace and there was a lot of uh, websites with stag static photos of, you know, the happy fam uh, farmer sitting in the paddock with long lush grass and, and you know, the prize winning uh, animal that wasn't ever going to go into the um, production system standing next to it. And, you know, that was the level of provenance that existed back then. So we were very key that if we were going to do this and we were going to be on the farm connected to the farmer as closely as we are, we needed to make sure that we were with the farmers that upheld all the uh, environmental beliefs that the founders had at the start. So I'm, I'm a regenerative farmer, have been for the last eight years on my little farm down in Bannockburn. 
And so when we had the opportunity of um, connecting with the eight families, there was a real click um, straight away, straight from a farming perspective. Um, and now what we're looking to develop is a commercial recognition of um, the value that regenerative farming brings to not only the environment, but to the consumers in the choices that they make with the um, purchases that they do. So this is an emerging field at the moment. There's been a lot for the last 10 or 15 years around organic products. And um, there's a whole discussion about the pros and cons of organics and certification around organics. Um, but when we look at regenerative farming, it is really farming focused on land um, regeneration. And that's what we need. So if we are able to commercially provide a product that people in the city can buy, knowing that that purchase is supporting a farmer to continue restoring the land that we live on, um, we think that that's a really valuable um, proposition to bring to the marketplace and um, we are only as good as the farmers that we work with so that's where it's so important the partnership with the eight families um, and also there's there's land to market which is a um, the Alan Savory um, I guess a commercial arm in Australia so we're a partner of that so what we're really looking to do is you know um, along with Sam down in um, Tasmania, who is a close friend of mine as well, um, you know, there's a real movement and part of that is how do we commercialise this? How do we support the farmers who are doing the right things and that the consumers can understand that with the simple choice of purchase of a product, they can have a direct impact to the improvement of the land in which they live. Who is your target consumer? What do they look like? Where are they located and I suppose what are some of their key attributes? Yeah, when we have a look at it, there's there's a couple of avatars that we we know that we can resonate directly with. So the first one is really around the animal welfare. So there's been a very big push around veganism um, and vegetarianism for the, the protection of animal welfare. Um, there's been a lot in recent times about factory farming, so whether that be feedlots or, you know, um, chicken sheds and so forth. So there's been a really big push about that and there's a large consumer awareness about what um, factory farming actually does to the animals and the animal welfare. So that's one of it. So we're very transparent on our website. We've got QR codes on our product that actually links directly to tell the story of you know, Bibaringa or, or Mulgoa or, or the farms that we operate on. So that's one of them that you will make that purchase because they understand the animal welfare and the fact that these animals don't have to go on the back of a truck to go to an abattoir. It's, it's all done on the farm and that improves it. The second one is um, the one that is really interested in the provenance. So when they um, purchase a product, they want to know exactly where it comes from. They want to be able to link with the farmer and they want to be able to tell the story when they're um, sitting at the table with family and friends as well. So provenance is another area. Um, the, the third one is around the meat quality and this is where we get our repeat business as well. So um, six weeks after we started, um, Provenir entered into the Australian Food Awards and uh, um, 
we we won gold in that, which you know six weeks after starting is just incredible. But beyond that, we actually got best in class of beef. So we beat um, all the other businesses, like all the big boys who have been operating for you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and we'd been going for six weeks. So there is something really about the fact if you remove the stress of transportation of the animal prior to slaughter, the quality is outstanding. And we can reproduce that um, every time we process because it's just inherent to the process. So um, there's the quality attributes that come from there as well. So they're the three key uh, areas that um, people come back and, and purchase a product. A question for Jill as well, but what is the process, I suppose, of going from cattle in the paddock and able to be sent off to the consumer? From a from producer's perspective, I found it quite confronting actually for the first few days um, because one thing is to put the cattle on a truck and send them off to the meatworks, but to actually push them up the race straight into the truck. And then I had, I had to say to myself, okay, this is the business I am, I have, have to come to terms with this. And it was really good. It really challenged me. And I, I'm now in such a much stronger position and um, understanding that the process and the business and the connection that I have with the animals and the purpose that those animals have in the whole food chain. So just going a uh, little comment that I would like to make about uh, the consumer, like everybody eats food. So and the socioeconomic people that can afford to eat the good beef that we're producing particularly can actually influence a lot of people by their purchasing power. So if they're supporting farmers like the eight families and the people, the other clients that Provenir have, they're actually supporting good farming ethics and they're not paying a lot more for their food and they're getting top quality meat. I mean, the meat is just superb. Um, there's something that happens between the, I don't know whether it's the adrenaline or the, with the process once it leaves the farm, but the, the meat is an ex extraordinarily high quality and the flavour, the texture um, is excellent. And once people get onto this um, beautifully grass-fed on-farm meat, uh, they will just view beef eating in a different way. And certainly people, the vegans and vegetarian people, um, a lot of the time, they just don't understand the food chain and I can understand their concerns with feedlots and industrial model of meat production and, you know, producing crops to produce meat to feed people. Um, but if you can, if we can get more, more grass-fed beef on the, on the market, and Australia is one of the biggest grass-fed producers in the world, um, it's just going to be so much better for the environment, going to be better for our health system, better for the individual's health, and um, generally good for the farmers as well. So everyone's a win-win. It has come up a couple of times. So the, the mentions of vegans and vegetarians, so they're not really your, or they're not your target market. And I suppose, um, Chris, are you actually looking to convert them or are you more no, focused on Ollie, that's, that's, that's not, not true at all. Um, our market research shows that around 15 to 20% of our um, target market are either vegans or vegetarians. Now, that seems like an oxymoronic statement to say, but um, there's a large amount of vegans and vegetarians who understand that they make the choice not to um, eat meat, but they live in families that do choose to eat meat. 
um, and often they're in the position of making the purchasing um, of uh, groceries for cooking in the family. So these are often very aware individuals about the supply chain and they will seek out our product because of the animal welfare attributes and saying that if my family is going to eat meat, they're going to eat it of the highest welfare that is possible in Australia. And we are the only ones able to do commercial on-farm processing in Australia. And we had to change laws to do that. Um, so, you know, we do actually have a strong support from um, a sector of the, the vegans and the vegetarians. So um, it seems a little bit unusual to say that um, they're a key target market um, for us, but um, we have a lot of people that the only meat that they will eat will be provenir because they understand that the animals haven't been to a standard abattoir or haven't been to a feedlot or haven't been to a sale yard or so forth. Yeah, so I suppose you're not actually targeting the consumer per se, it's more the, the shopper. Mm. So um, that comes under the, the, the avatar that looks at the um, animal welfare aspect of their purchasing decision and understanding the impact um, of that purchase back to the, the farming systems that it supports. Okay, that's really interesting. Looking at where your product sits in the market, and you guys, obviously, if you go into the lengths of higher welfare, potentially costs, are you able to, yeah, let me know a bit more about where you guys sit in terms of pricing in the market and, and how it does compare to, say, a, a traditional product um, that you would buy on the supermarket shelf? Yeah, um, that's, that's a fairly complex question. Um, I'll, I'll break it down into a couple of levels. So when we um, uh, process on the farm, we have uh, around about 550 kilos of animal to value. So some of that value is edible, some of it's inedible, some of it has a commercial value, some of it has an environmental value uh, from there. So we try to maximise the value, whether it be financial or environmental, of every every animal that we process. So as an example of that, um, we produce hides because obviously the, the animals are covered in, in the hide. Um, so we need to look for a market for that. Um, we also um, produce uh, the paunch and the uh, stomach contents. Now, um, that has uh, zero financial value um, at the scale that we operate at, but it has a very good um, environmental value for being composted and being returned back to the soil on which the animal came from. So that sort of ticks the box from a regenerative farming perspective. So when we talk about the commercial aspects, it, it's actually quite a complex um, question. But jumping to the, the point of the question that you're saying is how does our um, price points sit in the retail space. So if we talk about retail on the shelf in supermarkets of the um, loin cuts, so the eyed scotch and the porterhouse, we sit um, pretty much the second most expensive on the shelf um, from that. That is um, partly to recover the cost of operations and the fantastic prices that we pay the farmers for their incredible stock. Um, which of course you'll agree with Jill. 
And um, oh, of then also, <laughs> little joke there. Um, but but also, it is uh, it's a valuable product that we see, and um, we're definitely not a company in the race to the bottom of the cheapest meat that we can produce. We are a niche um, producer. We produce high welfare, full provenance, incredible quality meat. Um, and we look for that to be valued by the consumers um, who purchase that as well. Um, having said that, some of the cattle that we do, we also sell into the top restaurants. Um, so um, Neil Perry and Rockpool were very quick to um, uh, bring us on. We, we went into Rare Steakhouse, which is a, um, a top restaurant or chain of restaurants through Melbourne. So. Um, the real um, top-end steakhouses were very interested in the product from a provenance perspective, but if we didn't tick the box on the quality of the product that we were producing, um, they just weren't interested, but, but able to do that as well. So, um, yeah, we were, we're selling into the top restaurants as well. So it is a premium product. Having said that, we also sell the offal and some of the trim into pet food. Um, into a pet food producer that um, wants to provide full provenance of the pet food that they produce and also ensure that it's supporting grass-fed regenerative farming practices as well. So um, we, we've basically got about 56 different products that we need to sell um, when, we, when we process every animal. Yeah, cool. And I suppose... Um Jumping around, this is, with the world we live in now, how are you guys getting on at the moment? Obviously, the food service sector is not really existent at the moment in Australia, unfortunately. But how are you guys going being a, a premium product? Uh, I think if we were to graph it, um, I would say it looks pretty much like the Himalayas. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully we're, we're over Everest, but I'm not yeah. sure. Um, it's, um, you know... Corona hit um, literally over two days, 90% of all of our food service just cancelled all orders, just said we're closing the doors. Um, and, and at that stage, it was probably around 50 to 55% of our business. And um, so I was like, okay, we're, we're in for disaster here. This, this is probably going to take us down. Um, and then the two days later, our retail orders uh, pretty much quadrupled or 500% increase in the space of two days um, as the panic buying started, which was well reported. So every shelf was just cleared. Um, so all of our retailers just went um, through the through the roof and so we thought okay this is actually going to be fantastic for us this is going to be amazing this is going to outstrip the loss of the food service um, and now when it comes back and things are sort of leveling out a bit um, the impact of um, all the layoffs or the unemployment the lack of food service um, generally means that we're, we're down from where we would expect to be um, retail is up but it's not large enough to be able to cover the um, the um, food service that we've lost 
um, and then just the impact to other industries such that we supply, such as into pet food and and um, some other um, in, industry um, food-based companies that use things like bones and so forth, um, the impact is going to be pretty significant. Um, we're an essential service. We think that we're going to be able to get through. Um, thankfully, you know, we, we've got the support of the farmers, such as eight families who, who, who are standing behind and beside us saying that they can continue to produce the cattle for us. So we are moving through it, but it's... Um, it's incredibly fluid at the moment. So, you know, if, if I could um, have the crystal ball and say what was going to happen in the next um, two weeks, that would be pretty valuable for us at the moment. But um, we continue on. We're an essential service. We can continue to produce um, food. So we're a lot more fortunate than um, many other of our you know, close partners who have, you know, have had restaurants and have had to close the doors and, and literally lay off hundreds of people so you know our, our thoughts go with them so we we feel ourselves lucky but it's a pretty crazy time yeah no it's um very full on everywhere isn't it so and it, are you guys exporting at all or are you still just focused on the domestic market at this stage uh, we're domestic at the moment, so we're licensed in uh, New South Wales domestic license for beef um, in the next probably maybe six to nine months, we'll look and see if we can get tier one for export. But um, really at the moment with all the borders closed, there's probably not a lot of point in looking at that. Um, we know that we would be able to tick the box to be able to um, achieve that from a structural perspective of the units themselves and the, the quality of the cattle that we work with would definitely um, meet the uh, export requirements. Uh, but yeah, the, it, it was on the to-do list, but um, until, until things open up and, and trade starts to return to normal um, between um, Australia and, and our trade partners, yeah, there's probably not much point looking into that at the moment. Well, I suppose maybe timing is fortunate in that, in that aspect. For you guys. So I suppose just jumping back to um, the success you guys had last year. So the, the gold medal and the best in class with the Australian Food Awards in September. You guys aren't part of the Meat Standards Australia. So I suppose are you guys using um, objective measurement or, or how are you guys managing that side? Um, yeah, we're pretty basic in that area. So we... we um, don't have uh, MSA grader on board. Um, we've got an extremely experienced um, meat safety inspector um, who we may look at in, in the future. But with what we're doing at the moment and the uniqueness of um, the processing and the provenance and telling the story of the farmers we're working with, um, we haven't felt that we needed to get MSA grading to give us a competitive advantage but um, yeah the fact that um, we won the Australian Food Award I, I'm, I'm convinced that it is inherent in the process of not stressing the animal for extended period of time um, beforehand and there's there's a lot of research by the MLA around how to minimize that but um, it's pretty clear cut if, if you can reduce the stress of the animal um, the quality of the meat is 
outstanding and it's something that all farmers who do home kills know and that's why they'll only eat their own meat rather than going to the supermarket because they know that they can produce the best quality meat because they take animals that haven't been um, uh, gone through stress and I think you know Mark who was on your first um, podcast was was saying exactly that um, that um, he as a hunter knows that um, he will only take a deer that hasn't been stressed, hasn't run. He'll only take an animal that's in its prime. And, and that's pretty much the purpose of Provenir. Jeez, he's an interesting guy. Bloody cool. Because he he's a massive advocate of what you guys are doing and, and the quality of the products that you're able to get for him to, to share through Three Blue Ducks. And so I suppose what, what's been one of the highlights from working with, with chefs and, and the people who are really able to create a piece of art out of what you guys are producing? Yeah, I think um, one of the really great things for me working with Mark, um, he's one of the, the chefs that really understands the, the um, supply chain of getting food from paddock to plate. He understands it to a level that few do. And when we actually sent him up some some product for the first time he was just super excited from the fact that he's a hunter and he knows about um, taking the animal in its natural environment at the peak of its condition and not stressing it before you get to the point of consumption which yeah, sort of makes makes good sense um, but the real highlight of that for me was when we were able to connect mark to the farmers um, such as Bill and Joy and um, Jill's going to meet him uh, later on this week, is connecting the farmer and, you know, the, the celebrity chef that's, that's known for producing incredible food. And that's, you know, that's a connection that sort of sends tingles up my spine is that, you know, we can get food provenance and quality back to what happened, you know, way back when, you know, the 1920s or, or further, where food truly came from farms and there wasn't a big processing step uh, in the middle of it. And um, I know that Mark's been sort of super excited to, to come out and connect with the farmers and um, I think he's probably going to be bugging him a bit over the next, um, you know, couple of months, uh, particularly with the, the deer season coming on. But, you know, when we can get that connection between farmer, um, chef and consumer, I think something magical happens there. And so, Jill, from, from your end, what are you excited about? And, and I suppose what's it going to mean for you and your business um, being able to connect with the chefs? Oh, I think it's very exciting, actually. Um, I was quite surprised at my reaction when I saw Provenir beef on at the Harris Farm shop in northern Sydney um, a few months ago and it had Bibringa on, on the labelling. I got a, a real buzz out of that and I think the same is going to happen connecting with uh, a chef of Mark's calibre too, especially because Mark's such a special person from what I hear with like um, Chris was just saying, his connection to the land and to the animal and he truly understands the food chain, you know, the hierarchy of it and the importance of um, meat in our diets. So I'm really looking forward to meeting him and other chefs because um, uh, they are truly passionate. They're artists in their field. And I've worked a lot in the last 
10 years with artists and more recently in the last year, uh, connecting some of Australia's leading artists with regenerative farmers. And basically what we're trying to get the, the artists to do is look at the landscape from a creative perspective and try and get people, all sorts of people, but particularly landholders, to see their land from a creative perspective so that they may give it more respect. And this is, in a way, it's the same as what um, Proveny is doing, um, embracing their relationship with Mark. You know, he's an artist in his field, he's a creative thinker, and he's connecting it he's all the way through the food chain. So it's absolutely very exciting. I'm really very excited about it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I reckon you guys are going to have an awesome way. And so is this, is this, Chris, something, one of the first times you've done it with having the farmer and the chef uh, and, and yourself and your business in the paddock all at the one time? Well, actually, no. So um, we've had the celebrity chef. I'm sure Mark's going to hate that, actually. Well-known chef. Let's, let's say that. Yeah. Um, Well-known well-known chef come out and and have a look and he's actually going to do some processing with us as well so he's going to lend us a hand um in there but um christopher howe who is our chief operations officer i think is the only chef in australia that truly produces his own meat that sits on um his um Restaurant. So he has his own restaurant that he, um, God knows how he does it. He works five days a week and then he works in his restaurant, uh, the Talbot Provador and Eatery, uh, each weekend. So he's um, got an incredible capacity to work. But um, he, we, we've had a chef on board right from um, day go and um, he's got a very keen eye for the, the quality of the, the meat that comes through. So he's always asking from the butchery team, can, can I have this animal and that animal? So um, he's, he's uh, been our, our resident chef and um, head of operations on the MPU as well. So we've had that uh, connection with the, the chefing side right from the start. The, the authenticity of the um, producers as well as Provenir and the chefs and the consumers that we're attracting into this group. And it, uh, the, the consumers are, are equally as passionate about the meat that they're, they're eating from the customers that I've spoken to that have been buying Provenir as, um, as we all are in the various down the chain. They're starting to talk and have dinner parties and actually spent half the dinner party talking about the quality of the meat and, and the story. My brother recently had a dinner party with 10 friends. It's fairly casual, but they bought all provenir meat. And these are all businessmen and, and their wives in Melbourne. And my brother was able to tell them about what was happening at Biberinga and the relationship with provenir. And, and um, he was talking about soil carbon and organic matter and to these people that really had no idea but they you know they're quite um well-informed consumers but they didn't really understand the grassroots of the production chain so i think it's um really exciting that um we're all, all showing this appreciation for, for the animals and um that's a lovely thing in itself i mean whenever i'm loading um cattle through the cattle yards and sending them off to the meat works previously um, I would always sort of say like a little prayer for them. It wasn't quite a prayer, but it was just saying, 
showing thanks for them being on the place and, you know, all the best for your next part of your life, so to speak. And that's a form of appreciation as well. Um, I think a lot of farmers are starting to think like that too. They may just do that without consciously being aware, not without being aware of what they're doing, but we have a special relationship with the animals that we care for. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting thing to touch on there, Jill, is that the farmers are spending so much time and so much care um, in best practice welfare and the I suppose the shortfalls of of systems that exist now is like you guys say around the animal welfare and the stress as soon as the stress goes up that animal that's lived a relatively stress-free life in it the final 48 hours or whatever it may be of its life like it can I suppose yeah it can undo all the hard work and care that you've taken Jill um, um yeah exactly yeah but it's not only about that animal, it's about how we look after our land as well. It goes to the, the years that we put into growing trees and getting the birds and the leaves, the insects and the whole ecosystem working, functioning properly and, you know, managing the water through the landscape um, so that we're not causing erosion through our country and keeping ground cover. And that all that is all part of that animal's health and, and the diversity of plants. I mean... If on a lot of the genetic farms, you know, we can have 40, 50, 60, even more uh, plants in the pasture. It's not a monoculture of grass or five or six species of grass in the paddock. The animal, and that's also creating this nutrient-dense food. That's, um, it's just going to follow all the way through to the families that are eating that food are going to inherently not eat as much of it because they're being satisfied. Um, they're getting the nutrients mm. out of the food, and um, it's going—it's it's so much better for the whole society because we're going to have healthier people with good immune systems. The the bit that I was going to say is for us dealing with regenerative farmers, um, they just inherently are happier. They they seem to be more attuned with their land, with where they are in their lives. They don't feel, you know, the financial um, pressures. You know, everybody's obviously looking at the price of cattle and so forth. But it, it, they just seem to be um, happier. And I remember the conversation that I had. Um, we took some guys from um, GYG, so Guzman and Gomez, we were looking at doing some work with them and trying to get into uh, fast food um, options and, you know, you're trying to change the, the, the quality of the meat there. Um, and I remember Nick Austin, who is also one of the, the eight families um, farmers, and the head buyer was just talking to him and he just said, you seem pretty relaxed for a farmer. Most of the farmers that I see are, you know, are, are pretty stressed out. And he said... We said, my life's wonderful. He said, you know, I, I have a good balance between work and time with my children. I don't run around and bust my ass trying to change the landscape. I let the landscape be what it is. And I use the animals um, moving through the landscape to regenerate it. And he said, you know, my life's wonderful. And um, that to me um, sort of signifies the real power of um, holistic management and regenerative farming that it is about balance and it's about um, using, element, uh, using animals to regenerate the land 
and may have a, have a profitable um, business as well. Well, I think that's an awesome finish to this week's podcast and it actually shapes up nicely for next week's conversation, which is actually chatting to the guys from Trademutt. A bit about mental health and having some of those tough conversations. Over the coming weeks, we'll be bringing more conversations to you with people from right across agriculture, right around the world. If there's anything that you'd like to hear, any conversations, please reach out. If you'd like to feature, get in touch with us at Humans of Agriculture, or you can try out this nifty new leave a voice message, which we've got on our site at anchor.fm forward slash humans of agriculture. Thanks again for your support. Look after yourselves.